0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Some of you know that um, outside my bedroom window, I have a very large old avocado tree (laughs) that hangs over my roof. I'm not sure why it's there, but it's been there probably for 30, 40 years. And a lot of lovely creatures like to come and feed off of the tree. And um, my neighbor, um, recent, about a year ago, he put up um, this metal spiky thing along the wall, right under the tree after he watched a coyote walk on the wall to get an avocado. And says um, this metal spiky thing outside my window. I, I did, wasn't asked about it, and it was done. Um, but the interesting thing about this new spiky metal thing, I thought about, well, how are the critters going to eat off the tree? What are they going to do, right? like. And for about a year or two, I have watched squirrels dance over the spiky (laughs) thing, like dance. And recently, I watched um, a neighborhood cat, very big black cat, just walk very gently and easily over the spikes as if nothing had happened, and I thought, there's gotta be Dharma in this. <laughs> There's you know, it's too good. And every time I watch, I, I look at these creatures and um, I say to myself, they don't have um, a mind or a brain that looks at the spike and creates suffering over it, right? <laughs> right? If it were me, you know, you're Brian that something's in your way. And all of the hindrances would come out. What the Buddha talks about, um, the, the things that are difficult for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they visited you on the cushion this, today. Um, we're born with them. They're with us. And so, for instance, the squirrel wouldn't say, um, he wouldn't have necessarily aversion. version. Like, uh, why is this thing here? And what's it doing here? It's in my way, right? I need those avocados. (laughs) Who would do such a thing? And why would they do that to me, right? This squirrel doesn't have that kind of brain, right? Or maybe they don't like me, (laughs) and I shouldn't be here. I don't like me. But maybe they're right. Who are those creepy people to put up spikes on a wall? Can you imagine the injustice of it? (laughs) Poor me, I can't get my avocado fits today, right? This is the way we think, right? When something gets in our way. Uh, even just to sit on the cushion and get some quiet. Um, so things come and get in the way. Desire. Anybody have desire mm-hmm. this morning?
1: Sometimes.
0: Sleepiness, fogginess, mm-hmm. agitation, irritation, anxiety right i don't like this i don't want this i want it to be different these are all the things that um hinder us and get in the way and um let's see did i get them all desire or greed i actually had a dose of that when we started the meditation, I wanted to open my eyes and look at everyone again. I <laughs> just love looking at everyone. Um, aversion, um, why is that person making that noise? Or why, why doesn't my, would my knee stop aching now so I can have a good meditation? Um, a mind that's jumping from thing to thing all over the place, um, agitated or restless worry doubt these are all the things um, that visit us and um, they're visitors with a capital V and today I wanted to explore the visitor with a capital V we've talked about this many times so it's really not to give you any new knowledge but to hopefully deepen your knowledge and practice and get you interested and energized around this subject. And the Buddha said, the mind by nature is radiant and pure. It's an illuminated mind. And what obscures it are the visitors. I'll give you another example to whet your appetite a little. Um, And and I told this story a bit earlier. Some people know the story of um, mother's day last sunday i was sitting at a brunch with my mom and my sister waiting for my um, college age son to call um, to wish the matriarchs a (laughs) happy mother's day and there was no call and so i'm texting because now we have texting i'm texting really Uh, so I had done this enough where he finally, the phone rings, and it's my son, but he's... <laughs> the moms are all laughing, They you know, and the children are laughing, right? We've all been there, uh, and he said, well, the reason why I haven't called is because I'm in the hospital, and I didn't want to disturb your mother's <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> some of the moms are really laughing at this point. And, um, so basically, the reason why I tell you this story is to get you interested in the topic, but, but um, what happened was he needed surgery, and um, it wasn't very serious, thank goodness, and he was in safe hands, and he had loving people around him, um, but that did require me um, to... Get up from the brunch and drive on the five for five and a half hours to a hospital in San Jose yeah. with my clothes and, and a bag. Um, and this was really an opportunity to look at the visitors of the mind driving on the five in LA Dharma Talk, right? You know, um, the restlessness, the worry visiting. Um, the anxiety, that I don't want it like this, mm-hmm. the desire to have a suitcase or to understand where I was gonna sleep that night, right? how it was gonna turn out, the future, worry, restlessness, all those things were coming up on the drive. Panic, also doubt. Doubt is also a hindrance. Um, can I make it, can I do this? It's either self-doubt or doubt in practice and when these things visit and we don't see them as visitors with a capital V, right? Mm-hmm. we suffer. That's the point of what the Buddha was teaching. And that some of this suffering, there's some suffering that's necessary and that we can't avoid. And then there's suffering that we can avoid. And he talks about using mindfulness, awareness to know the visitors when they arrive and not to identify with them. Right? So maybe driving on the five, I didn't have to be anxious mother or anxious driver. Panicked, worried mother, right? I could say, ah, oh, anxiety's here. Worries here. Impatience is here when the traffic would slow doubt is here can i make this five and a half hour drive okay right is it okay just to have your clothes in a bag well it was actually and it worked out fine and so if we can see the visitors as they arise and not cling and identify and build a story around them we suffer less but it's just not that easy to do so um Steve Armstrong, one of my teachers at Spirit Rock, says, uh, these states of mind torment us. Um, and the discontentment that we create by this thought process turns into suffering. And we need to develop a different relationship to our own discontent. Not, not easy at all. Um, and the visitor obscures this radiant mind, the object is the mind. So um, I was thinking about the Rumi poem, The Guest House, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This human being is a guest house. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking about it was, um, and I'll see if I can find my note on it, that um, Rumi makes it sound easy to accept Mm -hmm. everything and greet it at the door. But it's not easy to have that mindfulness present to even know that the hindrance has arisen. We buy it so often. Um, I remember being in um, the hospital and I had to go to the pharmacy to get some of the prescriptions and um, they couldn't find the order and you know, you watch your guest house, right? <laughs> what they're so incompetent and so, been waiting all day. You know, just it, you can buy it, mm-hmm. and then they're suffering. The body contracts. There's tension, and there's suffering. And we do this all day long, all day long, constantly. Um, we tell these stories. We merge with the visitor, with a capital V. <laughs> so I wrote to Rumi. Dear Rumi,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not so easy. For people who are familiar, how long ago did Rumi live? How long ago did, was it? Fourteen. Yeah, thank Fourteen hundreds. Yeah. So I rewrote the poem a little bit. Mm-hmm. Dear Rumi, each mind is a guest house. Every moment, a new arrival. A busload of visitors drop in with heavy suitcases. They're filled with desire and craving, discontent, memories, contempt, self-pity, impatience. I guess I have to open the door and agree that they have in fact arrived. And even if they are a crowd of unruly vagabonds, who sneakily sweep my mind of clear comprehension and ease. I will still treat each vagabond, each heavy-laden visitor honorably. She may be obscuring a precious jewel, a radiant jewel of insight and wisdom. That dark thought, the shame, the malice, and the woeful autobiography of my very sad story. Even them. I promise as best as I can to keep the doors open and have awareness guards at the gate. And if I can't laugh, it's okay to cry. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: For we're only human. And whatever happens is what happens as we let them in. Mm-hmm. <clears> this <throat> Rumi tells us, well, open the door and just laugh. Uh, not so easy. Mm-hmm. And the Buddha knew this. Um, and so he gave us a skillful direction, right? Skillful tools of how to meet these obstacles, how to meet these visitors. And the way he did that, was um, he talked about um, the seven factors of awakening, which is why I really love Buddhism, because it, it's like he gives you a roadmap and a pointer of how to work with this. So, so basically, we don't have to muscle these visitors out of our psyche, right? all of them that come. We don't have to muscle them out. We don't have to be willful. We don't have to effort. What we do is we turn the mind towards the factors of awakening and wisdom lifts them off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awareness itself lifts them off. It's not a fight and it's not a struggle. It's seeing what obscures the radiant mind through the factors of awakening. So I'll read you a few quotes. Um, this is from Steve Armstrong, the Dharma teacher I was mentioning, he writes, being aware of unwholesome states of mind, right, discontent, irritation, critical nature, um, is a wholesome state of mind. So awareness of the unwholesome is already turning towards the wholesome and skillful. That's good news. Um, And he also said there was another good quote. Oh, he, he said, the mind has no shame. It will tell you anything. So he's really pointing to the mind is not your mind. We think it's ours. We think we're thinking. But see how quickly it gets pulled away and pulled off from you, snatched right under you. If a loud noise happened right outside the door, how many of you would leave to meet the sound? Right. So the mind is not yours. I think this is of euthanasia said this, um, but we're responsible for it. But it helps to see that it's not yours, that it's a mind that's taking in all these senses, all through the sense doors, and it's, it's just spinning stories very rapidly. Um, and our culture, our upbringing, our genes, our heredity, our emotional history, our family history, our trauma history, it all colors and changes the story and a lot of it we're not fully aware so the mind is not yours that should be a relief you know it is a relief for me I always love that line um, from the 12-step programs Uh, um, my mind is like a bad neighborhood don't go in there alone So what the Buddha taught is start the hindrances. Or, or I would say embrace them, you know, but don't feed them. Greet them, but don't offer a smorgasbord. You know, <laughs> don't offer a buffet. <laughs> but to feed these factors of awakening, these things that help us um, explore and live in that radiance that's naturally ours that sweet mind. And I will say that that practice on the cushion of watching um, these hindrances and off the cushion, seeing them, um, and I was practicing on the five. um, there's so many sweet moments that come up when you can see the visitors, then you could drop into the peace and stillness. And it was quite pleasant to drive to my son and have that experience and share this, uh, share the difficult and the wonderful way with a family member and be there in loving spirit, you know, and have a road trip with no clothes. It was kind of cool, you know, <laughs> in a certain way, right? Know that he was well taken care of and um, I could have a shopping spree at Kmart, you know, right? <laughs> there were lots of, what hotel could we stay in? I mean, it turned into um, some sweetness because that's there naturally in all of us too. When we're not so, enmeshed in our difficult story you know and difficult stories are abundant you just have to turn on the TV the news and there's a difficult story right so we need these seven factors of awakening to help bolster us through difficulty so not just so we can feel better so that we're our behavior is skillful We could be skillful agents in the world, the world that desperately needs us right now. It needs our skillful wisdom. And I'll tell you a little story about that to illustrate at the end. So what are these seven factors I keep talking about? Um, And I'm going to tell you what they are if I can find them. Ah, Mindfulness, obviously, right? Landing on the knowing, awareness, knowing what's going on, being there. And the other is um, investigation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Investigation, that's one of my favorite factors. I like to call it inquiry. Mm-hmm. Making contact with yourself. What's happening now? What's happening in my body, my emotions, my thoughts? Taking that three minute breathing space. I teach MBC, mindfulness class at Kaiser. Been doing it for a couple of years. And we teach in that class, take a three-minute breathing space. See what your thoughts are, your body sensations, your emotion, and then follow your breath, right? Several years. It is the hardest thing to convince class, the class to do. And so when I teach it now, and Julianne is nodding as she teaches it too, when I teach it now, I say, this is going to be hard. This is a challenge. Right, and it's a challenge for us as staff. Um, the the coworker that I have who helps me um, will email each other all day. Did you do a three minute breathing space? It's, no. <laughs> yeah. it's, we don't like to stop. We don't like to get out of automatic pilot. Um, and the Buddha talked about that. He talked about the fact that we live in avija, ignorance. We don't know what's happening. You're doing the laundry and your mind is on um, Christmas in 1998, <laughs> right? You're, you're talking to someone, you really like them, and you're thinking about all the things you're going to say when they stop talking, right? <laughs> You're in the car driving to work, you have no idea what street you're on or what, what's around you. You didn't notice the stores or the people, right? A pizza. We don't know, right? It's normal. Right? And then we have this problem of, of also having some delusion. Right? We believe our story. Why did my coworker say that to me?? Right? As if she were the problem? It's the mind receiving it that's the problem in, in a Buddhist path, right? Why are they making noise when I'm trying to meditate? Why is there construction? There shouldn't be construction outside my window. I'm meditating right? that's delusion. So so it's very hard for people to practice stopping and investigating. Investigate what's really happening. And whenever I do take a moment to say, hmm, what's happening now? It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm making contact with this being, this body-mind. And in truth, relationally, if I'm not in contact with this body-mind, how am I in contact with you or you? If, I, if I'm not here, am I here for you? No. And we walk around hungry. The Buddha talked about the hungry ghost,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm. We're hungry all the time because we're not here. So investigation, a beautiful quality of spiritual practice, beautiful quality. And if we have investigation, try this for yourself, you do that three minute breathing space or your um, particular practice to arrive and inquire, you'll notice energy arises to meet you. Curiosity, energy, the body-mind loves truth of the way things are. And there's a love for the present moment, a love for landing. There's a real love for awakeness, right? And yeah. you eat that cookie mindfully or look at this flower, there's energy, right? There's love. And with that energy, um, the Buddha calls rapture. And what he means is there's sweetness, piti, right? I land mindfully on this flower and I'm interested. There's energy, there's aliveness. And then there's a joy, a sweetness, PT. This happens meditating, meditatively um, when you bring energy. There's joy, have you experienced joy on the cushion? Mm-hmm. Sweetness, oh, sweet, sweet, right? Um, and there's joy in investigation with your eyes open in practice, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes we're so busy, we don't stop to know the joy. The Buddha said, know the joy, know the piti, or the sukha, know the sweetness of being present, being alive, being in your body, embodied, awake. And with that comes a tranquility and a calm. When I'm appreciating my cookie mindfully, or the flower, or your face, right? not only is it sweet that the mind becomes more tranquil there's a satiation it lands it becomes still right? I appreciate this rose my mind is still and we experience that calm cool pond of stillness tranquility that's so nurturing in our lives And when we experience that tranquility, we're naturally in a concentrated state, calm concentration. The mind gets concentrated. And when we have that calm concentration, wisdom and equanimity appear. We don't get thrown off by the loud noise, or the construction, or the thing, the co-worker said or your mother said (laughs) or anybody else, right? There's equanimity, there's balance, there's ease. And we, the good part of this or the good news of this is these are all qualities we carry, we already have. They just need to be cultivated, right? We just need to cultivate them. So we lean into them and we use them for equanimity and stillness and ease. We feed them. And I'll tell you a story um, on that from the class uh, that I was given permission to tell and I really love this story. Uh, So there was a woman in um, the mindfulness class, very new to meditation and um, also trying to start a meditation practice with four children at home, (laughs) two toddler twins, (laughs) right? And she showed up every week to meditate. Really struggling, but um, very appreciative of the mindfulness practice. Brought energy and interest and investigation to the class. Lovely to have her. And just the last class, we're ending the class, and she, she said, um, is it okay if I tell a story? <laughs> well, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, all ears. And she um, talked about, um, she and her husband went on this bike ride, and they like their little dog likes to run after the bike in the street, in their neighborhood. And um, so it, it's a really nice, event for them, for the family. And unfortunately, the dog, the little dog, was attacked by two pit bulls and badly injured, as you would imagine, but survived. And um, she, of course, was um, like anybody who owns a pet, was just devastated. But they got the dog to the vet. and. Um, the vet said the dog needed surgery to live, and the surgery would be a minimum of $15,000. Oh, wow. And she's four children, and she can't oh, afford gee. it. Guess what happened? I love, I love looking at your face right now. I'm really <laughs> taking advantage of that. OK, so what happened was um, she was obviously distraught, and crying, and really you know, in a terrible state. But she remembered, or sometimes when your mind's in shock, it Mm stills, the three-minute breathing space, (laughs) right? The stop, pause, what's in your body, breathe. And she said she could really get to that quiet place that she sometimes gets to in class or in practice. And she sat with that, and she just was investigated, right? Inquiry. And what came out of it was, oh, I can take the dog. She, she uh, has family in Mexico, um, in Tijuana, and she knew she could drive the dog to a vet in Tijuana where things are so much cheaper to have surgery, and she asked the vet if that was okay, and they put the dog in the car, they drove a few hours, mm-hmm. and the dog had surgery, the dog's fine. So she said, what is it about mindfulness, right? She made a connection. Um, And I wanted to share the story because um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, no one can say that mindfulness practice will deliver wisdom or insight, except that's what the Buddha said. Mindfulness practice will deliver wisdom and insight. Be ardent in your practice. Bring energy. Um, Don't fall into doubt. Because the practice brings wisdom and insight. And her question was, well, what is it about that deep still space where I can be receptive? And um, I thought about that, and and we talked about um, we practice ardently in Buddhism, you know, in a mindfulness or a meditation practice, I believe, not just for PT, joy, peace, and calm, right? Those are all wonderful. They're going to come and go. But we practice for clear comprehension, for insight, for a deeper way of knowing, and particularly when it's difficult. That's what she demonstrated. right? This is what it's like when it's difficult. Will my practice be there to hold me? And the answer, the good news is, yeah, it will can't not 100% guarantee. And we know this from neuroscience, but I won't give you the neuroscience because my friend Ava told me it was boring. She's probably right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll end instead with a Rumi poem. It's called Quietness. Inside this new love, die your way begins on the other side become the sky take an axe to the prison wall escape walk out like somebody suddenly born into color do it now you're covered in a thick cloud slide out the slide die and be quiet quietness is the surest sign that you've died. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now. So slide out the slide and be quiet. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon greets us. So just taking a moment to take in this speechless full moon, this warmth. this beautiful, radiant mind that's naturally here, our birthright, that's as close as the breath. And joy and wisdom we collect to practice over and over again to know the visitor At the door, you have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.